and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the show. Shortly, you'll hear my new conversation with City Council member Keith Powers. He's a Manhattan Democrat, and he is chair of the City Council Committee on Criminal Justice, which has oversight of the New York City jails, which have reached a new crisis point here in September 2021, and we talk with Councilmember Powers about an emergency meeting of key government stakeholders that he convened earlier in the day here on September 8th, as well as an oversight hearing at the City Council that he'll be chairing on September 15th, and a number of related issues, a very interesting conversation on what's happening in city jails with increased violence, staffing issues, and a spate of deaths of detainees that is very troubling among other challenges that the city is dealing with related to its jails. We also get into, with Councilmember Powers, other issues that he's working on, thinking about, including the city's economic reopening, issues related to resiliency and infrastructure, and his bid to become the next speaker of the city council, a vote that will take place in January among the new class of city council members. There are, of course, elections ongoing this year with the general election coming up this fall. And council member Powers is one of a small group of returning city council members or who are seeking to return. They have to win their re-election bids, of course, but most are heavily favored to do so as incumbents, especially those who live in heavily democratic districts like council member Powers' Manhattan district. Uh, and then there's many new members of the city council who will be coming in pending the outcomes, of course, of the November general election. And council member Powers is among a small group of those returning council members who have officially said they are seeking to become the next speaker of the council. They've been developing relationships and trying to get their likely future colleagues to support their bid to become the speaker, which is really the second most powerful elected official in city government behind the mayor, but the council speaker is a legislative leader elected to that position by the other members of the legislature. There's 51 city council seats. So to become the speaker, you need to convince 25 other council members plus your own vote for yourself. You get 26, a majority. That's the minimum to become the speaker of the city council. And like I said, that vote will come in January. But we talk at the end of the interview with council member Powers about what his pitch is to his likely colleagues, how he's approaching that race for council speaker and some of what's at stake there. So a lot of interesting avenues in this discussion, much of it focused on what's going on in city jails and what council member Powers is doing about those issues. Before we get to the conversation with council member Powers, if you've missed any other new and recent episodes of Max Politics, please do check those out wherever you get podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. Along with this new conversation with council member Powers, also new this week is a conversation with State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins. And we've had some really good recent conversations with New York State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli, Senate Deputy Leader Michael Gennaris, a number of experts and advocates and elected officials on a variety of other topics, including the aftermath of Hurricane Ida and its devastation in the city, a really good conversation with a few experts about resiliency and infrastructure and planning, and where New York needs to go next to become more resilient against the effects of climate change and the longstanding issues with city infrastructure and planning that have been problematic. So many interesting and important conversations in the podcast feed at Max Politics. Check any and all of those out as you desire. 
And here's my conversation with City Council Member Keith Powers. And I'm pleased to welcome to Max Politics here on WBAI Radio, City Council Member Keith Powers, a Manhattan Democrat who is also chair of the City Council's Committee on Criminal Justice. Council Member Powers, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Long time. I've been waiting to get the invite, but I'm happy to be here at such an important time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I've been wanting to catch up with you, and this is as good a time as any, especially considering we are dealing in the city with a number of issues that you're working on directly. Um, and so we want to get to get to a few different things with you. But let's start with the most immediate crisis that you are working on, which is the conditions in the city's jails. Uh, as I mentioned, you chair the C city council's committee on criminal justice. You convened an emergency meeting today. Um, there has been a, a spike in violence in city jails, especially on Rikers Island. There has been a spate of deaths among detainees this year. There are some real problems here. Um, so tell us what you did today, who you brought together. Um, you know, we're talking here on Wednesday, September 8th. Uh, what, are, what are you working on? What'd you do and, and what did it produce here? Yeah, first of all, thank you for you know inviting me on to talk about this really important topic. Um, you know, we everybody knows the horror stories of Rikers Island and our city jails. It's a deteriorating jail uh, complex. The conditions inside of it always have been something that we've been working to fix. But in the last year, last few months, we have seen a really uh, a number of crises emerging at the same time. Obviously, it's the COVID crisis, the emergency of COVID and the Delta variant. We have the public safety crisis of violence inside the city jails. We have the amount of individuals in the jail going almost doubling since pre-pandemic uh, because of a non-functioning court system, because of arrests that have happened, a number of other things. And so, we'll, and, and we have a massive staff shortage right now due to COVID, absenteeism, and other factors. So what that means in reality is you have housing units that are on staff right now, you have violence that is continuing to go uh, uh, unaddressed because of staffing shortages or demoralized staff or a number of other issues. You have people that are not showing up, meaning they can't work, meaning they can't take people to medical appointments. There's not enough staff inside the facilities at any particular time. We have COVID at about 6% uh, rate inside of our city jails when it comes to COVID. And we've, of course, have deaths and other things that are happening that you can't help but to figure it has some relation to all the other things. And of course we have uh, people just not being housed correctly and other things like that. We can't open up new units. So what we're seeing is a major moment of crisis. Um, today I made, I, I got all the agencies in charge of the jails into one place to take, talk about an immediate and long-term plan for fixing those issues from staffing to vaccinations to other things. And I uh, uh, am encouraged by some of the stuff we heard, but I think we need to add more urgency to what's happening. And we're going to have another hearing next. We're going to have a hearing next week to go through a number of these issues and to hear testimony from folks that are impacted by it. But it's a it's a it's a major inflection point in our system, and there's a number of crises emerging at the same time. Yeah, the city council, your committee uh, on criminal justice, has scheduled a hearing for a week from today, September fifteenth, ten a.m. City Hall. Um, and so that is uh, an oversight hearing on the condition in city jails. So I'm sure that will be of, of great interest to uh, many. Um, so, so 
key takeaways from this meeting that you had today? Uh, I know you've already shared a couple because they've, they're sort of the broader concerns about what's been happening in the conditions in the city jails, but were there, were there any, was there anything you learned today? Were there any key takeaways that have not been part of the, you know, sort of press coverage and the, and the discussions around these issues that have been had with the Department of Correction Commissioner or with the mayor at his press briefings? Any, uh, you know, significant uh, takeaways from this, this meeting? Yeah, a few things. First of all, it's, it's always important to get everybody into one place so that you can hear people, you know, sort of work off each other and, de- you know, debate, discuss as necessary. So it was really important to get the commissioner, the border correction, CHI, correctional health and other agents, you know, mayor's office commissioners, all in one place to talk about all the things. I, a couple of things I'd say as, as sort of major takeaways. One is the staff absenteeism right now is a crisis on itself. We have yesterday we had 32 percent of people not showing up to work in uniform staff. Um, part of that is something we need to fix, which is the more the, the, the morale inside the jails and addressing issues around violence and make sure we're lowering that. But it's impossible to do that if you don't have appropriate people there to help resource staff, to help resource the jails, to be there to provide security, and of course to relieve each other from triple shifts and double shifts and mm. quadruple shifts. So we are made, we are facing a major crisis when it comes to people just showing up to work every day. And that we have to fix that in a number of, there's a number of ways we have to fix that, but we have to get people back. Number two is, um, I still think there are opportunities to look at the people that are in custody and figure out people and categories that we can send home, put on supervised release, or do something else to at least lower the census inside the city jails and take more people out of harm's way from COVID, from public safety, from other things. And I think we're not doing enough when it comes to that. And also, um, there are steps the city's taking we are bringing more staff on. We are looking at some of the work rules and the uh, you know measures to penalize those who really don't show up. Um, and that's going to take a few more months' time to get fully operational. Um, but I think that what we're facing is both a short-term and a long-term, you know, or mid-term, mid-term crisis here. Uh, I'm a little concerned about the, the, the short-term, meaning to really make sure we stop some of the, the things right in their tracks right now. Um, but, you know, are there... Are there certain demands that the correction officers union is making, but, you know, to yeah. that they're saying their members are not are going to continue to not show up? I mean, is this is this is this sort of an organized uh, strike of sorts or, or, you know, is it just sort of an understood, uh, you know, sick out of sorts? I, I think it, you have I think you have a number of things happen at the same time. I think you have uh, a, 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 a sick policy that people are taking advantage of. I think you have some people who are just AWOLing entirely. Maybe they're resigning through an AWOL, uh, meaning they're just not on anymore. And you have um, so, and you have folks who are, uh, I think, working triple shifts who then are not do not want to go to work the next day, which is not totally, uh, which is somewhat understandable in some cases. And you have morale way down. Um, I think we as a city have to address the jail violence issues. There's some ways to do that, like the way we house people, um, uh, the ways we address gang violence, and also just like having the amount of resources and people to be able to um, provide people. So I think that what we're seeing is a lot of fatigue. People have been in jail longer because the court system isn't working. You have um, uh, just ongoing issues that aren't getting attended to, and that's leading to a whole set of other issues. Um, but they're talking about violence and talking about triple shifts. And those are real issues and they have to be addressed, but we have to start by getting people to show up to work, in my opinion, so that then you have triple shifts being relieved, you can lower violence and you can address some of the critical issues here. But having anybody in custody living in a unit where nobody's there to provide security or to address their basic needs if they need something, 
is mm-hmm. like a human, it's like a human rights crisis. Uh, so it, it's, it's important that we look at all these issues as one big issue right, versus separate issues that don't operate together. And so any immediate outcomes of this meeting today, any, any other action items that you're expecting here, anything you're expecting the mayor to announce, any, uh, you know, any, any sort of yeah. near-term steps that you are hoping for or got a guarantee on? So what we talked a lot about was, uh, A, what the, what's in the city's control immediately uh, in terms of like sentence population of people that can potentially be sent home. They serve part of their sentence. They maybe not be a flight for a public safety, sorry, public safety risk or anything like that and looking at that population. Two is we urgently need to get the governor, the new governor to sign legislation, the Less Is More Act that would take a few hundred more people out of the facility. That could happen tomorrow. That would get people off to, on technical parole to be able to go home. It's something past the legislature that's like sitting there. We are gonna try to move urgently to try to get that bill passed. Have to look at the population of folks like the nonviolent, uh, felonies, the misdemeanor population, a few hundred people of each, and look at people that we can get out of harm's way. And then we have to look at some of the immediate things that they're doing when it comes to um, how to get people back to uh, back to work. I think we're predominantly focused on the people that have really AWOLed, but I think they'll look at harder, more urgent measures to be able to, and, and that's something we're working on, to get people who are not showing up on occasion to get back. And we have to lift morale and provide more for the people that are doing the triple shifts there. So those are some of the things we really focused on. Vaccination rates need to go up amongst people in there, I believe. Um, we have to continue to do the COVID protocols uh, in there to help people. And we have to treat it like a human rights crisis. We need everybody looking at this, not as a sort of a problem over there, but something that is uh, one of the crises of the moment. And I think that mentality would help. Um, and the last thing I say is the, well, one one other takeaway to say is like the mayor's talked a lot about the court system and how that is contributing to the public safety crisis on the streets. I think there's a public safety crisis, but I don't think it's that that the courts are causing. I think it's inside these jails where people are a not a non fully operational court system is leading to more people sitting around waiting for their day and yeah. take a plea bargain. That's leading to much worse issues when it comes to staffing and nursing issue in the jail. So getting a fully functional court system would really help to address some of these issues. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, we reported on this last year that the mayor blaming the courts for, you know, increases in gun violence really didn't seem to be adding up. Now there are questions around, uh, you know, all sorts of machinations there, but if anything, people on, on serious gun crimes, you know, the most serious gun crimes, obviously all gun crimes are serious, but the most serious gun crimes that people, you know, actually accused of shooting guns are not being released, you know? <laughs> so, so, you know, that, that there seems to be issues with the court uh, function that are actually leading to higher populations in the, in the city jails that, you know, people weren't really ready for, especially as you know, with the addition of, of COVID issues. Um, yeah. Has the mayor been a bit asleep at the switch here? We reported also last year that he hadn't been, he has not been to Rikers Island during his second term. As far as I know, he has not visited since we reported that story last year. There's only so much that the mayor going somewhere, you know, that that does. But as we've seen, and I'm sure you've seen in many instances, when the mayor shows up somewhere, it has an impact. Yeah. Um, has he been asleep at the switch here? Look, the hard thing, the, the, the historical thing with the jails is that they're easy to ignore for people in the public, including elected officials. I do think it is important the mayor goes and sees both the 
current humane crisis that's that's existing in there. I don't understand the staffing issues and the issues that are there. So I, I think I, I go uh, often. I'm likely going back very soon just because I think every time I go, I see something different. I see a new unit I haven't seen. I see some issue. Um, I think the you know, the, I think the mayor should be there, should go there soon and should address those issues. And I think it would help uh, both raise the level of urgency on the issues and demonstrate that there's all focus on this right now. But I think the governor too, like I think we need everybody sort of focus mm-hmm. on this as a place where easy to ignore, but important to address. And so um, I think it's everybody needs to be spending time on this. It would be good if the mayor went there. Um, but I will say the team that's working on this, like the new commissioner at DOC, are working on overdrive to address these issues. I think it's, I think it's, um, uh, some of these issues are very, very difficult and take, will take a few months to sort, sort out. And City Council Member Keith Powers, when you uh, chair this oversight hearing next week, any additional things that you're hoping to get out of it? We, we certainly, a big part of it is to let the public has an opportunity to weigh in and bring us issues that we haven't talked about prior. Today's meeting was to get everybody moving in one direction and also to recognize that the safety crisis affects everybody your doctor, your uniform staff, your person in custody, your family member, it affects everybody. And um, so we want to hear from the people that didn't, weren't at today's meeting, of course, too. But I think we want updates on a lot of the issues we talked about even a week from now, where what the plan around releases, what is the plan around staffing, are there updates? But I also think it's really important people hear some of these numbers we're talking about. 32% of the population who's working in those jails doesn't show up to work. Like that should cause a concern from anybody of any persuasion. And it might mean that you think that we have to adjust the violence, and we do. It also might mean you have to adjust some of the work rules, and we do. But I think it's really important the public has an opportunity to hear some of that. Mm-hmm. And um, lastly, on this topic, and I do want to, before I ask the last question on this topic, um, I want to give some credit to our colleagues at Gothamist, WMYC, and the city who have been reporting on these issues and bringing to light some of the um, startling details and numbers and such involved, and people can find uh, that reporting. Um, has anything that's been happening here made you rethink the plan to shut down Rikers Island and build the four borough-based jails? Not really, no. Um, I, I think that what we see is a crisis that is caused by a lot of things, but certainly um, you know, building new facilities that are way more modern, that even have basics like air conditioning. You can do more in the actual housing units. We, I passed a bill that actually mandates certain conditions inside the jails in terms of size and space. Like I think also, and also the way you can house people or solitary confinement units that they're using, but they don't call them that. I call them that um, are, are, not, are just like re, are kind of ridiculous. So I think there's a lot of opportunity in there to do something better, but also to like have people walk into a place to work that is much better and, and have people in custody. That's much better. I think you will improve morale, improve public safety, improve resources or programming. So I feel more, like it's a it's a plan worth pursuing in light of the challenges because so much of it is caused by the state of affairs inside those facilities and the crumbling infrastructure there. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's let's touch. We we could keep talking obviously about the conditions in the city jails and oversight thereof and and more um, uh, for much longer. But we'll look forward to your hearing on the fifteenth on this. Uh, a couple other issues I wanted to to get you on um, while we're talking here. You've been, uh, you represent parts of Manhattan. You've been very focused on the city's economic revitalization, the rebirth of tourism in the city. Where do you assess that push standing? Um, and, and what do you think needs to happen next on a, on a policy level? Um, uh, you know, are you encouraged by what you're seeing and what do you think needs to happen next? 
Yeah, thank you. I did a, I did a whole plan a few months ago that it's called uh, the Passport to Recovery, which is some plans and strategies to get people back into the city and ways to save those in, uh, industries and areas that have been most impacted but are so essential to our tourism industry, music venues, you know, Broadway and stuff like that. And look, we're, we're encouraged a little bit by the idea that we're seeing in Times Square uh, and even in some hotel occupancy, those numbers going up. But I think we know with Delta variant, travel plans being put on hold, even the holidays coming where people might be a little bit more hesitant to, um, uh, you know, uh, be more hesitant around when they're going to see their families and things like that. I think we're seeing um, we're going to see a little bit of a ceiling on that until we come out of this crisis. But we have more people in my district and areas. We're seeing Broadway's reopened. We're seeing concerts and stuff open with vaccination. The restaurant industry that always a little bit unstable during COVID, but outdoor dining really helped. We passed a number of bills to kind of keep them in play in place. And we um, the vaccination stuff, I think, gives people a little bit of comfort and safety if you're vaccinated to be able to go to these things. And so we're we're managing all that at the same time. I think there's I'm encouraged by a lot of what we've done. And the federal relief has certainly helped. And I think we owe a lot to Senator Schumer and the federal government for intervening in certain particular areas. But um, unless we are vaccinated, unless we are able to defeat Delta and other variants, we're still living in this world of those who are going to be able to go and enjoy the stuff and those who are going to not be able to, the hesitation and a really slow international climb back into New York City. And I think that is going to be really, really tough. So what one of the strategies I think we should be really focusing on is sort of regional and domestic tourism as much as possible. Mm-hmm. You may not like the Ferris wheel and Times wheel on Snap Square, but we <laughs> That thing I did ride it for a but you should be you should be like looking for these little things even to get people back and to get to spend an evening in New York City or to come back and do a weekend here because those people are going to help us stay keep a little stable until conferences come back and international tourism comes back and the large scale events return and um, and sadly across the country now we're seeing this as a problem where last year it was really a New York City focused problem. Mm-hmm. And you are working on uh, changing or at least uh, setting a framework for changing some of the zoning laws in New York City to legalize dancing in more parts of the city. Uh, some people probably are dance, have been dancing illegally for years yeah. without knowing <laughs> it. Um, but what's the, what's the status of that push and, and what should yeah. we expect on that front? I know, Ben, you probably dance into that two favorite song of the jukebox. <laughs> We're going to get somebody in trouble. Um, you know, we, we were, you know, during COVID, actually, it, it just was something that came into my sights a little bit, which was that a num- almost every bar and restaurant in New York City, or most of them, are actually not zoned to actually allow dancing. And so years ago, there was this cabaret law that was a slicing jet again, very difficult to get. And that would be give you an actual approval to dance. And it was very selective enforcement. But we saw LGBT establishments. Um, places where for, for people of, of color, where they would congregate, like we'd see those places get the most targeted enforcement. So my colleague at the time, uh, or my colleague, my former colleague, Rafael Spinal did a bill to repeal the cabaret law. What was left behind was zoning that sort of kept that in place. So as we're thinking about getting our restaurant industry back up and running to be less punitive, to just tackle some of the hurdles here of opening up a business here anyway, the discriminatory parts of it, and also something that's so not enforced, but selectively enforced, and it's outside the spirit of New York City. I just said, we should just go and do away with this. So myself and then hopefully next mayor, Eric Adams, uh, did an op-ed yesterday about it. We did a resolution, and we've been calling on city plan, just get, get rid of that. 
Uh, it would be a good thing for the nightlife industry to know that that's not even a thing. It would be good for uh, the city to show that we're like helping out these businesses, but also a few businesses I've talked to have gone through the process of rezoning their property to actually allow for dancing. So they're in compliance, uh-huh. like hundreds of thousands of dollars for a land use attorney, for everything else. So let's just not make and, anybody have to go through that. Already. And and the process there is what the, the department of city planning needs to put something together for the city council to approve or what? Yeah. So we actually, city planning, I think does agree with us on this. It's just a little bit of getting them to move forward to something. They'd have to put together um, uh, basically a zoning tax change that would uh, allow for it. It's in certain it's very complicated, but certain use categories, certain areas where they specifically ban it. Um, the, and for people that are concerned that like their local diner is going to suddenly turn into Studio 54, like you still got to go through the <laughs> process. There's other processes in place. And for the largest establishments, they still, um, you still have to, uh, this wouldn't apply to a place that's holding like a thousand people. So trying to make your like neighborhood bar and restaurant not be out of compliance because somebody's like, dance, dancing along to a song when the, you know, when the jukebox. Right. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll keep tabs on that. And, uh, and, and that might extend into the next city government, which, which you're very likely to be a part of as you, as you see. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. A couple, couple other things here, uh, Keith Powers, uh, the, the discussion around resiliency efforts in the city that we've seen accelerated uh, by the damage from Henri and then the, the much more significant devastation from Ida um, you represent a Manhattan district. There's obviously some major coastal resiliency work underway on the east side of Manhattan. Um, but how are you thinking about where the city needs to go next uh, in light of what we've seen here? Yeah, it's a great question. We, you know, we are doing this east side resiliency thing that was about the storm surge and the flooding that happened after Hurricane Sandy. And we're seeing now that our city is all across the board, whether you're next to waterfront or not, although certainly worse if you're next to the waterfront, is so susceptible to flooding based on the rainfall and climate change. So I think we have to do a lot of things right now, obviously continue these long-term infrastructure projects that keep our waterfronts resilient and protect even some of our most vulnerable residents from flooding. But we have to look at like our basic, like I just, I wondered on Twitter out loud, I don't know, I wondered on out loud on Twitter, whatever the other day that like, even if we should continue there, there was a subway pilot program a few years ago to gate up some subways to protect them against flooding, whether we should look at continuing programs like that and expand them. Um, but I also have been thinking a lot about like our, like our snow versus our rain strategy. Like I feel like when it snows in New York City, we have mountains of salt down like in different places. We have plows that come out. We repurpose an entire city agency to get out there and plow the streets. And I wonder if we should have anything like that that's like resiliency in, in the moment uh, or like preparation in the moment when it comes to uh, preparing for rainfall and whether that means like we need to get people out there doing temporary, you know, anti-flooding measures, shut down subways, put more notice out there, um, deploy more resources. You know, I, I, I can't say that like I have an expert on this, but I do wonder whether our city is really prepared for it right now and whether we should do the hardening of the infrastructure, but also have a more sort of operational um, uh, approach to how to protect against these kind of rainfall and hurricane events. And whether that means looking at agencies that we have already with a lot of manpower and looking to make sure that they're able to help us do any sort of resiliency around that stuff too. So some things I've been thinking about, um, but certainly we have to protect our waterfront against 
the big storm surges and against the flooding that might occur when if we get historic you know rainfall as we've seen in the last few weeks and the city council will the, the day before your hearing on yeah. um on the conditions in the city jails there'll be a, a different oversight hearing on on some of that so we'll we'll hopefully yep. Yep. a lot more insights into many of these pressing issues rear here as we just saw the the council hold an oversight hearing on school reopening and, and yep. the council's getting back into action here in september um Speaking of the council being uh, in action and, and the future of the council, you uh, have your your hat in the ring here to be the next city council speaker. Um, what's the status of that campaign of sorts? It's uh, it's an internal one that listeners should know. You know, only decided uh, in essence by the members of the city council who pick their legislative leader. But of course, a lot more goes into into it than that. Uh, Councilmember Powers here definitely uh, pursuing his colleagues votes for that vote, which will take place in January. So where does that stand? And, and what's your general pitch to your colleagues about why you should lead the body? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, look, I think it's really an exciting moment because we have all these new colleagues coming in of different backgrounds, different experiences, different ages, different demographics. It's really a much different moment in the council that I think we've seen before, but that also means it's a different type of race. We have lots of folks who are coming in who have big ideas about what's next in the city. And so I've been meeting and I've supported lots of the candidates that run, ran most of them, almost all of them won, which I was, I was grateful for and been really encouraged by the folks I've been able to talk to about their ideas, ways to make the council more, um, a stronger body and just have a stronger presence, whether it's like oversight issues like what we're talking about now or figure out how to be really kind of a stronger uh, part of city government period, how to work with the next mayor, of course. Uh, so I, I've been really working with a lot of the new folks that are coming in to get a better sense of what they want. I've been very encouraged by conversations I've had with them. And you know, my message to them is, you know, is the council is really one of the most important parts of the city government and that we need people that are within the members to be able to really be able to help drive the conversation in what happens in the body. We, of course, need to be our own voice in there. We're going to have to work with the next mayor on the big ticket issues of public safety and resiliency and criminal justice and all those issues. But we also need to really have our own voice in that process. And I think that what members really want and need is somebody who's going to really go out there in their districts, help drive the conversation for the things they need, while also making sure we think about those long-term big ticket things. And I think my record in the council has uh, lend itself to that. And I've been really encouraged by my conversation about what the role in the city council can be in the future years. And of course, some of the things I've been able to accomplish here. So um, it's been going great. As you as you said, it's a really a small insider-based piece, but I've been encouraged by a lot of what I've heard so far and really been kind of an exciting process to be out there meeting with the new colleagues and hearing their thoughts. And I really want them to feel like they're empowered in the next council and in this process for picking the next speaker. And you have to be a little crazy to pursue this position. I was going to say, it's all... <laughs> <laughs> it's all I'll say, but I will say, you know, there's a certain level of craziness that you have to do and a little self-selection, I suppose it might happen. But um, but also, you know, if you are in, if you're really sort of excited about being the job of doing the job of a city council member, which is like serving your local community and serving the city at large, it's another way to do that in a much bigger stage to be able to do that. And particularly through the recovery. So that's my focus is on, you know, on the economic recovery and our resiliency moving forward and to take some of the things I've done locally and in the council so far and be able to do them at a bigger stage. And uh, lastly, uh, you know, there's been a lot of, of uh, power in Manhattan, but the power seems to have shifted to Brooklyn quite a bit. Uh, seemingly, we'll see, you know, everybody's got to win their general elections and such, but we expect the next 
uh, class of city government, all three citywide officials to be Brooklyn uh, based. Eric Adams, Brad Lander, and Jamani Williams. Again, general elections, you know, proceeding right now, but they're heavily favored. Is that part of your pitch uh, that you know Manhattan needs? Uh, needs yeah, yeah. At the table, as ironic as that might be. The power is in Brooklyn, but the power is in Manhattan. Uh, 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 not my pitch. No, look, I, I think there's uh, only a few examples here. Manhattan has always done very well in this race, but we only have a few examples here to pull from. I think members want somebody who's going to support them. I think Manhattan's a great place to run from because of a lot of the sort of big ticket items we're, we're working on here. But no, I'm not really, I mean, I'm not focused on that. I certainly understand that's something people might be looking for, but more about how I can help members get what they want done and how I can be a good speaker for the next four years if I'm so lucky to do it. And I also really happy to see a lot of my friends are also in the race from Manhattan and all over um, who also want, I think are inspiring to do the same thing. So, um, you know, you must, you must also get, yeah, good. Well, you mentioned, you know, the new council coming in going to be one of the most diverse bodies, the most diverse, probably city council that New York city has ever had. You must get some questions, some pushback, a white male as the next city council speaker. How do you how do you address um, those those questions? Yeah, look, I, I've met with almost every new or current current council member. And I think most of what I hear people want is they want to get things done to the council. They want to have somebody who's going to like listen to them and drive their issues forward. It's going to be de- a real democracy. Um, there's always questions of like, you know, rep- representation. And those are really important. I mostly heard members really wanted to talk about what is best for them in their districts. And so if they think that's me, I'm, I'm happy to hear that and I'll take their support. And I, I certainly recognize, though, that um, there's a lot of factors that go into how people make a decision. All right. Well, here on September 8th, a lot to discuss with City Council member Keith Powers and, of course, much more to watch as we have the immediate uh, discussions around the city's resiliency and jail oversight and then that sort of medium term conversation about who will be the next city council speaker and much more around the city's uh, reopening and beyond. But uh, Keith Powers, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you, man. And as you noted earlier, the press is playing such important Rikers conversation and, and you guys too, but I wanna thank you as always for being such a good spotlight on all city government and making sure folks can stay tuned in what's going on. So appreciate having me. Appreciate that, thank you. 